welcome to the Othello Foursquare podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit othellofoursquare.org. All righty. Hi, everybody. I just want to preface if I feel, if I sound like, you know, like, out of breath, it's because I am. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I noticed last week when I was doing announcements, I was like, oh my gosh, you sound like you just ran a marathon. Like, relax. <laughs> it's this belly. I'm just blaming it on the belly. But guys, we, uh, <laughs> we just got back from a pastor's conference in Oregon. It was so fun. It was so, so fun. Um, we got to meet... What I love is it's it's a four-square conference for leaders um, in the Northwest. I think it was Alaska, Washington, Oregon, North Dakota, Montana. It's a big it's a big district, but what's so cool is seeing all of these people who have devoted their lives to ministry under one roof, being encouraged and strengthened by the presence of the Lord, and getting to meet pastors that have been faithfully serving for 50 years versus um, people like us, like we could tell. You even meet them, like, oh, you're like us. You've only been doing this for, like, a little bit. And it's encouraging, right, to, to be strengthened by other believers. And so we came home just feeling like, wow, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be poured into, to just worship the Lord. And, and so I, uh, I have a really sim- simple message this morning. But I believe it's, it's what the Lord's saying. It's what he wants us to hear today. And I feel like the last couple times I've preached, it's kind of been few and far between. David's been so gracious on me. I just, I blame everything on pregnancy. Like, oh, like, I don't know how I can blame, like, not preaching on pregnancy. But I'm like, you got it, you got it. The series is good. Like, no, just keep going. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, it's time, it's time. I got, I got, I got, got to share something, and I do. I feel it stirring even, even now this morning. I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of God. Um, in Exodus thirty four six, I just want to start by reading a passage describing who God is. Okay, and I know you're sitting there and you're like, okay, can't you give me something a little more clever, something I haven't heard before? We always sing about his faithfulness. How, about, how many of you know when we say something so much, we need to revisit what it means because it can become dull in our understanding. So we need to remember who he is. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And I want to talk about that last word, faithfulness, faithfulness. Emet, E-M-E-T, if you're taking notes, emet is the Hebrew word that's often used to describe God in the, in the Bible, and it means faithfulness and truth, okay? So emet, this word has to do with stability and reliability, so you guys remember that story of Moses when they're up against the Amalekites and the Lord says, okay, I want you to just raise your hands to heaven. As long as your hands are raised, 
You guys will be victorious over the enemy. And as, remember, he gets weary, he gets tired, so his hands start going down. When his hands fall, they start to triumph over them, the enemy. So what happens, his friends come, they put a rock under him, and they hold his hands up. Okay? So that word, in the Hebrew, when they are supporting his hands, it says that they keep them raised so they would remain emet, meaning steady. It's the same word used for faithfulness in Hebrew. Steady, keeping his hands up and steady. That's our Lord. He's steady. He's consistent. He can be trusted. All right, if you have your Bibles, and you know what? I have, I have a challenge for everybody. I know we can use our phone, but it just like feels better when you can like hear the pages. Like for me, it helps because then I'm like, oh yeah, people are actually turning. So next week, bring your physical Bible, okay? So I can hear the pages turning. <laughs> We're going to go. If you do have your physical Bible brownie points, if not, it's okay. I know they're heavy, whatever. But let's go to the very end of the book, Okay. Just fast forward. We're going to start at the end today. We're going to start in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 19. Let's see. So turn to the very end. If you get to the, the back, you went too far, just a few pages in. Okay. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold... A white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Say Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to find out what that name is, right? He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. (laughs) From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. So verse 11, what does it say his name is? Faithful and true. Faithful and true. And like that word in Hebrew, amen. He is faithfulness and he is truth. This is who he is. So since he is truth, I want you guys to catch this if you're writing something down. In the word he's spoken, is the accomplishment of that very word. Okay, let's, let's go back. <laughs> he is truth. It's who he is. He is faithfulness. So when he speaks, when he says, that word is accomplished in itself because he is truth. There is nothing about that word that will not be. It will come to pass, whether it is seen immediately or not. And I'm not going to turn here, but I told David last night when I was just like looking over this, I'm like, you know, there's one thing that is impossible for God. (laughs) He's like, oh, heresy, what are you talking about? (laughs) 
It's impossible for God to lie. That is the one impossibility we see. It is impossible for him to contradict his character. And if you don't believe me, go Hebrews 7.10 if you're writing notes. Hebrews 7.10, Titus 1.2. Okay, write those down. Go and read it if you don't believe me. It's impossible for him to go against his nature. He is truth. So when God speaks, he cannot lie. That's encouraging. When he gives you a word, that means he will not refute that word. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, I feel like I can't talk about faithfulness without talking about covenant. So if you're taking notes, you can write a covenant keeping God. Okay. We're going to talk about this for a second. God demonstrates his faithfulness through the covenants he makes. Okay. And this is like a really, I feel like you don't see this word much outside the church. Maybe a little bit like when you're talking about marriage, people will kind of understand that concept. But if you don't know the word, you don't really understand what is covenant? What, what does that mean? But it was his idea to create this thing called covenant, okay? It's an unbreakable bond, okay? It shows that he means business. Like when he makes, when he makes an agreement with you, he, he puts a covenant to back it, saying, I'm not changing my mind, okay? So there's actually four times in the Old Testament, if we're talking about the Old Testament for a minute, four times in the Old Testament that God makes a covenant, okay? He makes one with Noah when he says, I won't flood the earth again. And he actually says, even if, like, I know they're going to be evil, I know they're going to reject me, but I won't do it. I, I, won't, I won't flood the earth again. And then Abraham, what did he promise Abraham? That he would make him a great nation. And then he made one with the people of Israel, Israel's fa- or Abraham's descendants. And then he made one, the fourth one was with David, King David. And we talked about King David for a couple weeks. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of break it down a little bit. But those four times, God initiates a covenant. It's when God would make a promise, and in return, he would ask for commitment. I'm going to promise you this. Now I want your devotion. Okay, that's what he would come, come to them with, with these covenants. So I want us to think about the covenant of Abraham. So God promised that, he, that through him and Sarah, who were wrinkly and old as ever, okay, barren they were so beyond guys we think of these bible stories and we think I mean at least me I'm thinking of like the illustrations in my daughter's like little toddler bible and it's like almost like you disconnect from it like it didn't really happen like it's just a story that it's like a cute fairy tale oh this old man and women have a baby this there is so much I want you to just go, if you ever are curious about the validity of the scripture historically and how accurate, how these things really did happen, actually, in the historical timeline, go on YouTube, look up evidence, archaeological evidence of the Bible. Like, this thing is not a fairy tale. This is truth, okay? So when he's talking about this couple, like, this is a real couple. First of all, I probably would not be encouraged as a 90-something-year-old being told I'm about to like be pregnant pregnant like no what 
but they trusted God, okay? So it says, his wife was old and barren, yet they considered him trustworthy. Okay, he says that we're going to have descendants that outnumber the stars. He's, he is truth, so I'll believe his word. And in just four generations, they have a nation, okay? Think about that. Abraham and Sarah, they were two people. Barren, just in their old age, I'm sure. How discouraging is that? The back then, that's everything. Your family, that, your family line, that's everything. That's your identity. They had nothing. And what happened? In just four generations, God takes two people, and it becomes a nation. Israel. A nation. So let's fast forward a little bit. We're talking about these covenants. So God made a covenant with Israel. So the people of Israel, his descendants, and gives them guidelines to how to live a blessed life, to how to partner with the Lord through his law, right? And then, fast forward a little bit, we have King David. And he makes another covenant with him. And this is when the nation of Israel is a lot bigger, a lot stronger. And he makes this covenant that he wanted to, to, he desired to partner with David to rule over his people in righteousness for them to be set apart. And he promised, remember last week, David talked about in 2 Samuel 7, where God says, hey, one of your sons that's going to come from your seed will be a righteous king and his throne I will establish forever. And if I was David, I would probably think, oh, cool, like one of my sons is like Solomon or whoever. They're going to be really great. And yeah, they did great things, but how many of you know it was Jesus that came from that line that God fulfilled the promise. He fulfilled the word he said. But here's the tragedy, okay? Israel breaks the covenant. Israel breaks the covenant that God made with them. They worship other gods. They allow wickedness to run rampant. Guys, we're not talking like, oh, they just like would curse God. These, it, if you've read the Old Testament, it's not light reading, okay? <laughs> These people get so, they get so um, off the rails, away from the truth of God, they are in these pagan religions. They're sacrificing their children to, to these gods. Like, it's wickedness. It's pure wickedness. This is where the, the nation of Israel ended up. They break the covenant that God had made with them. And it looked totally hopeless. They were forced into exile. They lost the land that God had given them. But during the exile... During the exile, where they are removed from their land, okay, what do we see? The prophets of Israel are speaking of a time where God will restore the covenant. And this is despite, despite them failing God. Despite them being in the middle of punishment, they're dealing with the consequences of their sin, God is still speaking to the prophets of a time to come. And what's it called? The new covenant. This was when they were, they were dealing with the aftermath 
of their idolatry, of their um, their actual, it wasn't just like a, oh, oops, we kind of wandered. Like, a lot of times they were deliberately denying the Lord. And he's still telling the prophets, there's a time coming. I'm restoring the covenant that I made. That's, that's crazy. And I want to just look at, speaking of the prophets, okay, let's go to Jeremiah. <laughs> We're going to go to a super well-known passage. Okay. Jeremiah 29:11. How many of you have had this written in a birthday card or you heard it at a graduation party? For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. It's 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 a powerful verse, okay? Don't get me wrong. We we hear it and we're like, "Ooh, that is just one of the good ones." It's almost like with God nothing's impossible. It's like up there with with those, it gets you riled up. It gets you, like, in a fighting mood. You're like, yeah, God is on my side. But look, we're going to look at the context of this scripture, okay? Not that I don't think that we can, we can get value from one standalone verse. Absolutely. But when we see it in the context, it's actually ten times more powerful, okay? So go to the beginning of Jeremiah 29. The very beginning. I'm trying to decide if I should read it all. Okay. All right. So I want to give I want to give a little backstory. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah is giving a letter to the the ones left, okay? They're all in exile. They're in Babylon. They're not in their land. And they are facing, like I said, they're facing the consequences of their sin, okay? And guess what? They've had they've had prophets, they've had false prophets say, "Guys, don't worry about it." The Lord told me in two years we're out of here. Or the Lord told me, you know, just hang on a couple months, we're gone. Just don't worry. But Jeremiah is coming in to correct that word like, um, actually, that's not the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord, okay? <laughs> I'm actually going to just start in, um, no, you know what? Let's start in verse 1, okay? Just hang with me. It says in verse tw- or chapter 29, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent. From Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jesonia, oh, sorry, Jesoniah, and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah, and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, okay, everybody, okay, just basically he's sending it to everybody. Okay, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Japhan, and Jeremiah, or is it Jeremiah? Okay, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. He's long gone. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whom Jedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon. He won't be offended. It's okay. To Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, okay, verse 4, verse 4. Pay attention, pay attention. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find welfare. So he's saying, hey, I know they're telling you you're going to be out of here. Actually, you're going to be here a while. Set up camp. But if you pray for the welfare of that place, you will have welfare. And then it says in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the, what? Some say thoughts, some say plans. I have for you, declares the Lord, thoughts for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So this is what gets me about this passage. (laughs) Israel is in a rough spot. Not only are they exiled and they've disobeyed God, but it's like, okay, 70 years, you're going to be here, okay? Get comfortable. But what does God say? But I still have good thoughts for you. And that, despite their unfortunate state, He says, guess what? I have thoughts of your future. And they're full of hope. A people that were disobedient. Does that ring a bell, guys? Hello. In our own lives. In our own lives. We, how many times in our best efforts when we're trying to do it in our strength and we fail God. We fail him again and again. And this is his word for you. I have good thoughts for you. I still have good things in store for you. In the middle of their mess, in the middle of their mess, God gives them this word. And some of you need to hear that today. That although you could be dealing with the consequences of your own sin, of the mess you put yourself in, no one else you put yourself in, and God's saying, guess what? I have good things for you. And when I think about you, it's good. He is hopeful about your life. Whether we put ourselves in that situation or not, that's the mercy of God. And don't say, no, that was Jeremiah talking to the Israelites. Okay? No. That's not for me. Well, actually, the word says in Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before in former days, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So that means this is for us. So I want to go back to the timeline a little bit of what I was talking about with those covenants, okay, those four covenants. His people failing, losing their land, etc. The prophet spoke of a restoration that was coming, That was called the new covenant. 
okay, to come. And that's where Jesus enters the story. God shows his faithfulness in this grand plan of sending himself. Because time, through time, God made a covenant with man, we broke it. He made another, another covenant, we broke it. He made another covenant, we broke it. And you know what he did? <laughs> Instead of giving up on us, because he's steady in his love, he said, actually, the only one able to uphold a covenant with me is me. So I'm going to send me. I'm going to send Jesus, my son. Come on, isn't that good? That we couldn't uphold this communion with him. The faithfulness that he carries, he said, okay, I will send myself in the form of man. And I'll make my covenant with him. And through him, I will have unbreakable unity with my children. So no matter what they do, no matter how much they fall, no matter how much they try to screw it up, his blood will cover it. Come on. Jesus, Jesus, the maker, the upholder of the new covenant. The new covenant shouts, my faithfulness will not leave you. I will not leave you. I don't care how many times I have to bring you back. And I'm, and you know, like the shepherd, I'm thinking of his hook. <laughs> that that's the Lord with us. When we wander, he brings us back in. God knew we couldn't in our own efforts be faithful to him. So through Jesus, the exact representation of himself, as Hebrews says, he made a way. <laughs> and it's through, it's through Jesus inside of us that we have the power to walk in covenant with him, right? So I, obviously, we've gotten this by now, right? It's not dependent on your faithfulness to him, okay? And this is where I'm getting to. This is what I feel like the Lord showed me at this conference, okay? So we're in the last session. And the, the pastor that was speaking, he's actually for, I think, the national four-square director for, like, Next Gen, which is, like, young adults, um, youth, and children ministry, like everybody. And he was sharing a, a word on hope. And then he asked us at the end to ask the Lord, you know, what is, what is he saying to you? And I felt the Lord just tell me, when you're faithless, I'm faithful. When you don't feel full of faith, I, it wasn't even, it wasn't dependent on that anyway in the beginning. But I'm full of faith. I'm faithful. I want to go to Titus 3, verses 4 and 7. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly. Through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. That's good. He cannot deny himself. So when the Lord told me this, uh, basically I felt like it was, it was a few things. He said, when, I, when you're faithless, I'm faithful. I won't let go of your hand. And immediately I had a picture of my son. And I would say my daughter too, but like she didn't really have this phase like him. Like he'll, he'll just go limp, like totally. Like you try to hold his hand like, hey, we're going to go somewhere. And he, if he's playing with a toy or he, he's really captivated by something and you try to like lead him to something else, it could be better. It could be a better toy. It could be food. It could be something way better that he can't see. But you're trying to grab his hand, let's go. And he, ah, he'll just totally go limp and let you drag him. Like totally, completely drag him. And then I have to stop because I'm like, okay, is his arm okay? But this is the picture the Lord gave me as he said, I won't let go of your hand. And I saw myself as my son dragging my feet. <laughs> I don't want to. Lord, I don't understand that. I'm not going to go there. I don't want to do that. And God said, guess what? Even if you're dragging your feet, I'm not going to let go of your hand. Because it's not based on what you can see. Because how many of you know, we've had, if you have had toddlers, you could have something so good for them in the other room that they're going to love. But they don't have your perspective. They don't know what's in the other room. They don't know that it's so good, but they're just mad at the, I need, no, I'm comfortable right here. And God's saying, even if you're dragging your feet, I, that doesn't change my hold on you. Okay? He won't let go of our hand. His name is faithful and true. A father always sees a clearer perspective than the child. The father could be taking the child somewhere better, like I said. <laughs> but the child has no idea. And how many of you know, could even think they're being punished. You're punishing me. How many of us have done that with God? He's trying to lead us into the new thing, and we're like, ah, why are you doing this to me? And he's like, I'm, t I'm taking you into greater. I promise I'm a good father. I know what's best. It's not based on your ability to hold on to him. He's holding on to you. So I want to close with, with this. Recognizing his faithfulness to us is actually the key to us remaining faithful to him. When we recognize emet, like in Hebrew, steady, steadfast, he's not moving. He's not going anywhere. Not, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or who you think you are, how qualified you think you are. He is the one that it rides on. His faithfulness, not yours. So will you choose faithfulness? 
Will you choose faithfulness to him? Proverbs 3, 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and of man. Let's stand. I'm going to read. I want to read a few scriptures over you. But this is something I want us to reflect on. Are we being faithful to the last thing that God told us? It's that simple. Like we don't need to think, like sometimes we try to think too, too broadly. Let's just think about, okay, am I being faithful to the last thing I feel like God assigned me to? And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Let's ask God. God, what do you want me to be faithful to right now? So I want you to close your eyes. And I know we're, we're, we're wrapping up, but I really, really, it's so important. This, is, this moment is key because I want us as a church body to take a moment and hear from the Lord and just ask him, what are you calling me to be faithful to in this season and partner with you in? And I just want you to allow the Lord to minister to you and just, just what comes to your heart and mind. And now I want, I, as we're doing that, I also want us to, I feel like in the room, some of us are really battling the voice of legalism and religion that I haven't done what I need to do for God to bless me. I haven't done enough. I haven't been faithful to him. Blah, 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 blah. It's not based on your faithfulness to him, but his faithfulness to you. So I'm going to read these over you, and I believe that God's going to just break off mindsets that are not of him. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Psalm 91, 4, And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is your shield and your buckler. Psalm 89:33 But I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. 2 Peter 3 The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Lord, I thank you that you are for us. You will not let go of our hand. Hear him today. I will not let go of your hand, child. If you feel like your heart is being illuminated by 
this word. I want to just invite us. There's significance in responding to when the Lord's speaking to us. And if you feel the Lord speaking to you and ministering to you about his faithfulness, I want to just invite us. This altar is open for anyone. If you want to respond to the presence of the Lord right now, I just invite you to come up. You can sit, kneel, stand. But I want to make sure that invitation is open for us. That something happens in the spirit when we respond to what he has given us. Do not, do not let that happen where you hear or you feel a word shift something in you. And you just sweep it under the rug and move on. Because the Lord is here and he's ministering. And he's reminding us of his faithfulness to us. His unswerving, unending, overflowing faithfulness. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to partner with OFC, you can give on our website, othellofoursquare.org. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next time.